Welcome, everyone, to a Baseball America podcast along with J.J. Cooper. I'm John Manuel at John Manuel B.A. He's at J.J. Coop 36. Baseball America's Twitter going strong at 85,000 follows right now. You can Thank like you. us on Facebook. You can uh, join our Google Plus uh, community. We're building a strong community over Google Plus. And I know we teased it in December with a Google Hangout. I'm pretty sure that if you follow us on Google Plus, if you're in our if you're in our Google Plus community, you'll be seeing some Baseball America Google Hangouts coming this spring. Uh, just an exciting time of year for everybody. I think we're all, as baseball fans, very excited about pitchers and catchers reporting. Uh, we can stop seeing uh, countdowns <laughs> on MLB Network all the time and start seeing some actual games uh, with spring training coming. And of course, a Baseball America uh, action packed next uh, week and a half or so. JJ. College baseball's opening day, February 15th, is coming Friday. (laughs) We cannot wait for games that matter. February 19th, we'll unveil Baseball America's uh, Top 100 Prospects, also known as the only Top 100 Prospects list that matters. And, uh, you know, for me, JJ, the other part of this is uh, coming very soon, a redesigned BaseballAmerica.com, which we cannot be more excited about. We want to thank our source, Interlink Media Overlords, and the folks at Grind Media uh, which we are a division of now, um, for redesigning the Baseball America website. And we think you'll agree it's better than our seven-year-old website. We're very excited about that. But this is now year 14 of BaseballAmerica.com, opening day this year in April, minor league opening day. We opened About every seven years. We, we start, that's it. We started. In, it's, it's like a good uh, communist plan. We're just uh, later than five years. We're seven years. I hope we can get on a five-year plan of redesigns, maybe a two-year plan. But uh, oh, BaseballAmerica.com, Open for business in April 1999, and uh, then redesigned for the tearful World Baseball Classic in 2006, the inaugural WBC, which uh, got me very verklempt. And now here, seven years later, redesigning again. That's so we have another World Baseball Classic. To get that's to. right. Lots, but lots of great stuff coming up. Uh, ben Badler's booked his ticket to Japan. You've booked your ticket to Arizona. I have yet to book my ticket, but we'll be booking my ticket for San Francisco. Uh, very excited about the 2000. 13 World Baseball Classic. And uh, J.J., very excited about spring training. I think we all are. And uh, a couple things we were going to touch base. We're going to take all your Twitter questions today. Uh, You can always send questions to us also at podcast at baseballamerica.com. And uh, one thing that got us talking last week, J.J., as we looked ahead to spring training, was a trade last week. I guess it was two weeks ago uh, with the Houston Astros and the Oakland A's. The A's trading a longtime prospect, Chris Carter, uh, who's out of options, finally had some big league success last year, hit a lot of home runs down, down the stretch, as a lot of Oakland Athletics did in that uh, magical run to the American League West uh, Division Championship. But Chris Carter, minor league uh, catcher Max Stassi, and right-hander Brad Peacock, who's had big league time but not in Oakland, he had it in, in, with the Nationals, all going to Houston in exchange for uh, kind of a journeyman right-hander uh, reliever, whose name I'm blanking on because it's like Fernando Rodriguez. And... Um, and then the big key part of the whole trade was Jed Lowry, the shortstop going from Which Houston really the, to Oakland. That that was the okay. The the last kind of veteran pieces uh, of the Astros have now. You know, yeah, I mean, you still think Norris of Jed Lowry as a as a young player, but he was also a, a member of the 2000, I believe it was 2008 Red Sox. I don't think he played significantly in the 07 World World Series championship team. I know he's in our 2008. Uh, I know he's in our 2008 Stratomatic set. But he wasn't even the everyday shortstop even for that Red Sox team. But this is a guy who's never really been an everyday player in the major leagues because of injury. He's had he's been a productive player when he's been healthy. 
but a good risk to take if you're the low-budget A's to go and get Jed Lowry and see if he could be an everyday shortstop and, for your middle infield piece. And they don't even need that. That's the thing for the A's is, is that they don't even necessarily need him to be an everyday shortstop. This is basically, and you, you, you could look at this in some ways as kind of insurance because they went out on the, uh, the free agent market last year and they've kind of said that Hiroki Nakajima kind of gets first shot at shortstop. I think that was before the Lowry trade. At, they've talked about I, Lowry. I, they've talked about Lowry that he's going to play multiple positions. That versatility is going to be useful for them. I see that. I think the reason they're saying that is because they can't bank on. The, there's nothing in his track record that says he can do it 162 games. There's also nothing in Nakajima's track record right. that says he can do the, it either. You're covered now. This right. They. The best way to put it is is that there. This was a team that last year was kind of stuck at shortstop. Yeah, they pretty much had one gear, which was defense. Um, when people were healthy, they could play Cliff Pennington at shortstop, and they knew that he had a good glove. They knew he had a sub-600 OPS. And when he was hurt, it was Adam Rosales and Eric Sogard and, and these kind of guys filling in. And then they went out and made the trade for Steven Drew because these guys just weren't – and when Pennington came back, Pennington actually played at second base for them. But – uh, they, they're going to see if Jamile Weeks can give them offense at second base. He didn't do it in 2012. He did in 2011. Grant Green, perennial prospect. We'll see if Grant Green can break through to second base. They have options at second. But I, I, to me, I think their best case scenario is they get 140 games out of Jed Lowry and he plays some of them in short and some of them at second base. But I think they, their best case scenario is let's keep this guy healthy, but one way to keep him healthy is not to demand that he be our everyday right. shortstop. Meanwhile, in Houston, if he were in Houston, uh, J.J., it seems like his chances of staying healthy would be very small because they would expect him to play shortstop, hit three-hole, and you might have to close some games, too, out of the bullpen for his jet. I mean, in Houston, he would have been expected to be the best player on that team. And 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 that leads you to believe that, that – I guess it makes it easy to understand, J.J., why the Houston Astros traded the best player on their team arguably, and you could argue Jose Altuve if you wanted to. If you wanted to argue Bud Norris or even Lucas Harrell, I might listen to that. But it was a putrid team because this, the Astros have lost 106 games or 105 games, I guess, minimum the last each of the last two seasons. There's no one who thinks they're headed toward fewer than 100 wins, I mean, fewer than 100 losses this year. They're, they're a triple-digit loss team for rookie manager Bo Porter in 2013. It's a complete teardown. I guess what I'm wondering, J.J., is does this make sense in reality or does, this, does their approach that Jeff Luno, the new general manager there, entering his second full season, is this more of a fantasy sports approach that won't work as well in the real world or will this work in the real world having zero uh, really consistent big league caliber players? And this is, where, this is why we wanted to talk about this on the podcast because I think we had a pretty fun debate about this in the office. My viewpoint is lo- winning, winning, losing 95 games – I know that you can talk about that this could reach historic levels because if they lose as many games next year as they've done the last two, they basically you're talking about a stretch that hasn't been equaled since the Mets, the expansion Mets. That's where they're headed. And that's where they're likely headed. Uh, and they're headed for 2003 Detroit Tigers levels is where right. they're headed. That's the worst modern team. I mean, in the in the common era that we're talking about with DHs and free agency right. Right. and we're all that kind of stuff. We're talking about the 1940s when – or even the '62 Mets. We're not even That's talking about, and we're not talking about the 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 Phil, you know, the Kansas City A's. or the Cleveland Spiders or that right. kind of stuff. And we're, if you look back to, toward the mid '70s, free agency, the game's been integrated. You got jet travel from coast to coast. You know, in the mid '70s, had 26 teams. 
that's a modern era to me. Right. The Tigers retire that for worst team. And these these guys, the Astros are going to approach it. And, and my argument is is that winning, losing ninety five games. Okay, yeah, you're right. You don't end up in the record book. I don't think for your fans that makes. I don't think that makes much difference at all. If you said, do you, would you rather? If I'm a you know fan, would I rather my team be you know ninety five losses and be kind of hanging on a little bit? So hey, we got We've got someone who's kind right. of interesting. No one's buying tickets to go. I got to see Jed Lowry tonight. Right. That being said, so I don't. I understand the trading of Jed Lowry to me. Like now, you got Brad Peacock. Brad Peacock may not end up being much of anything. Brad Peacock could end up being, you know, a, a solid starter in your rotation. The reality is, is that this team's not going to be any good. By, by the time this team's any good, Jed Lowry's hit free agency. Probably so. So to me, yeah, I I have no problem with it being the complete teardown. I think that really what it comes down to is. If you start winning in 2015, then this is a success. And if you don't, everyone gets fired. And, yes, the market's tanked. But I think if they kept losing 95 games, the market would be tanked if you kept doing that anyway. Yeah, I guess well, my my question is uh, the over, with this overall holistic approach to sucking. You know, they've taken they're, – they're, they've left no stone unturned to guarantee – Everyone must go. Everyone are, must go. If you have value and That's you are it. arbitration eligible, you are out the door. That's it. And I, t- my only question is um, how how far, how low can they go? It really does seem like more of a of a fantasy sports approach where every player goes out the door. And it, also it seems like this trade was where owner Jim Crane decided that Oh, we've lost money in the last five right, years. That, that, that was the part. That, that seemed that, like that was time to try to make people forget that they've traded any reasonable a facsimile of a major league player they've had uh, recently, uh, and that that struck me as disingenuous. Poorly timed too. I thought it was poorly timed, and like I, I agree with your point. Jed Lowry was not going to be the difference between 100, 100 losses and one hundred and ten losses, but. This is also not a franchise that it feels like Jim Crane does not equal Mike Illich. When they lost 119 games in Detroit, he poured a lot of money into that, number one, to to, to buy free agents to buy them out of that. Three years later, they were in the World Series in 2006. This Also, the Tigers at that time did not have a great farm system. Uh, they really bought their way out of it in some way. But, of course, the next year, they drafted Justin Verlander. So that kind of helped, you know. Um, the Astros, I, I don't see Justin Verlander out there, but there are some people who kind of make parallels between Mark Appel. Like, boy, he throws really hard. And he's not – I would say that Garrett Cole is the better comparison to Justin Verlander. But Mark Appel does throw hard, and he's hittable. Hey, the, the, Maybe they get Mark Appel next year. They're dug such a hole here. Are we talking about Carlos Rodon in 2014? You know, I mean. If this is the Carlos Rodon gambit, then Jeff Luna is smarter than even I thought. So I mean that would be that would that might be worth it. You might be changing my mind because I would love a Carlos Rodon game. But my my thing is is it's terribly time to say hey we you know this team's lost money over five years because again take beyond the fact that the number of owners who've claimed over the years that they've lost money and later it comes out oh no you know you, there's a lot of ways that you can do that right to you know you can if you want to make your team lose money you can do it but beyond that I think this is a place where we do agree. If you're the Astros, if you're saying there's not – I don't understand this rule that every Major League Baseball team should be profitable every year yeah. on a profit lo- – on, not on – I mean, the, the values of the franchises are all going up. Exactly. But 
we don't expect on if a you balance go to a restaurant, sheet. Yeah. If you go to a restaurant and you get terrible food and terrible service and you find out later, hey, that place is losing money, you go, well, yeah, it makes exactly. sense. You don't go, oh, this is a tragedy. How are they losing money? The Astros have been terrible on the field at the big league level in the last couple of years. Before that, I think 2008's their last winning season. Last four years, they've been bad. And the thing about it is, is that I think in some ways the last two years, if you're a, an Astros fan, as terrible as the on-field product has been at the big league level, it's actually been in some ways a better couple of years than the two years before that because you had an old team that was terrible and there was literally no hope for the future because this was a team, no one did it worse right. from the farm system level than the Astros did until very recently. They are still paying for the worst draft ever in 2007. I don't think any of those players even reached double triple uh, A in their own organization. Um, and then there's still been, and there were still, and there, and the thing is that was a whole, well, they haven't had a good draft in 2004. I wrote about this in a column a little while ago. I think it was 2004, whatever year it was, they got Mitch Talbot and Ben Zobrist. And there was someone, no, I guess it was Ben Zobrist. It was a fourth round and a sixth round pick were both productive. There was a Ben Zobrist draft. Of course, they traded him pretty quickly. That was the last really good draft they had. I guess, actually, I think it might've been Pence and Zobrist who came in the same draft. They really haven't drafted well since then. There have been pieces or parts, and then 07 is when it all completely fell apart with you know, uh, no first-rounder, no second-rounder, didn't sign third, didn't sign fourth, didn't sign eighth. So. And, and the best way to put it is, is that if you, if you want to point a finger at what happened, uh, sticking to slot recommendations, never a great idea. And that's it. Uh, you're really looking back at a, a franchise, J.J., that um, you know, and you're, I think – I think unless you're talking about these marquee brands like Yankees and Red Sox and Cubs and Dodgers, you do have to put these teams in some context of their local market. We saw today uh, or this weekend a uh, story about, hey, the Rangers have more fans than the Cowboys now in the, in the Metroplex, in the Dallas Metroplex. I don't believe that, A. But, B, I do think it is significant that the Rangers have made inroads, and that does not, that is not, that is not coincidental with the fact that the Cowboys stink. And, and the, the Cowboys Rangers are run are, poorly, and the, and the Rangers, Rangers are run well. And you know? successful. Right, they're successful. They win on the field, but they're also run well. They run smartly, and they're kind of like the opposite of the Cowboys. Um, the, the Astros, uh, at a time when he, the, I, I think it's significant that the Astros got good. I don't think it was coincidence that they got good and spent a ton of money because they saw an opportunity in their market when football, with the NFL, left. And then when it came back, they were – Still a young expansion team with the Texans, and that's when you had Pettit and Clemens, and you know the the, the Astros making that last push with Drayton McLean. But at the same time, they made that push and went to the World Series, uh, went to the playoffs in back-to-back years in 04 and 05. Um, at the same time, Drayton McLean was uh, being the good soldier. He was doing what Bud Selig told him. They spent, they never went over slot, and it killed them in the draft. And it's and it killed. Uh, you can probably argue it hurt the fr- the value of his franchise in some way. Didn't they have to? Uh, uh, did, did Jim Crane pay more money because they were, he was being moved to the American League, or he got a discount? I think he got a discount because he was being forced to move. And this whole thing, if you're a fan of the Astros, there are a lot of Astros fans out there, J.J., who are upset still. They're resigned to moving to the American League, but they're not happy about it. They're leaving 50 years of tradition behind. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a big. That's a pretty big difference. This is not like Milwaukee where some of those fans had actually they, been they were National League fans. fans. Like, hey, we remember the Braves. We were part of this. Right. I mean, there was only, five, I guess, what, five years where there was no team in Milwaukee. The Braves moved, what, in 66 to Atlanta, 66, 67. Yeah. 
and then the the pilots moved to uh, Milwaukee in 1970, uh, immortalized by Alan Schwartz asking Bud Selig, "So you were Meattle <laughs> in a in a story about 15 years ago." Um, but so that was an American League city for 28 years, and it had been a National League city for 10, tw- uh, 15 years before that. Uh, I don't think it was. That. This is a much bigger change, and, and to me, the fact that the Astros made some hay while football was down in Houston. Now, I mean, you, they're just constantly losing fans. They're losing the casual fan year after year after year. They're not going to matter until after they've been good for a couple of years. I think they've lost well, – I guess my point is when you lose this bad and you stink this bad, you lose some equity with your fans. And I think when you lose equity with them, you also lose money with them. And that, but, that, but could, keep you, that you. could keep you from signing one of those players who will actually help you uh, when you are ready to contend. But my question to you is, though, okay – so if you had to, you said, is this a fantasy approach? If you had to do it differently, if you think that that's going too far, what would you do? I think actually what I would do is one of the things I've seen about this is some of these team, uh, some of the where the union questioned the Marlins about how little money they were spending a couple of years ago. I think those questions have to be asked of the Astros. And why are are there not players? How far away are the Astros? Where do we just rank their farm system? This is a good farm system. This is a farm system because of the past trades, not just Jeff Luno's trades, but some of the trades that Ed Wade made as well. Uh, We have the Astros ranked ninth in our farm system rankings in the prospect handbook. So is there not really a player? You're telling me there's not a player, and it's a protected pick. Uh, It's not that they're going to lose the first-round pick. Michael Bourne uh, played with the Astros. He went to the University of Houston. If you don't don't think – I'm just asking – it's hard to find a center fielder and a leadoff man. If you like Michael Bourne, you don't think that he can, that in four years you're going to contend that Michael Bourne couldn't help you, can still be there four years from now? I think you're going to be – I think if you do that, you're going to – obviously you're paying for Michael Bourne for a couple of years right now where he's not going to do much, again, to help you because – Not that their payroll is going to be that no, high. No, it's payroll. No, it's not saying you can't afford him. I'm not saying that. What right. I'm saying is, is that, okay, he makes you – he gives you a couple of more wins here so you're just – you're not even talking about wins awful. and losses at this standpoint. Right. You, but you are t- you are talking about fielding a major league product, right? Because right now they're swindling their fans because they're not fielding a major league product. To me, to me, where it comes into swindling is, is hard. That's a, that's a harsh word. To me, next year, it's time to start. Next year, this year is the la- to me the last year you can explain it away as we're just sorting through. And I understand. To me, there is a value of hey, we have to figure out what we have, and especially. If you want to criticize their approach at all, to me, a fair criticism is is that partly because they haven't had marquee players to trade, they've acquired a massive amount of depth. Right. They haven't acquired a whole lot of guys who you say, okay, well, that guy, you're not even questioning. That guy's going to go in the lineup, and you're going to give him 600 at-bats. Right. That it's not like they had make... Mark Teixeira to trade here. They didn't. Right. You know. So what happens, though, because of that is, is that for them in many ways in 2013 – how they dole out those at-bats is important. How they dole out those innings is important because they have to figure out they've got four first base slash DHs to sort through. At least. At least. And they Chris Carter is the one that has no options. options left. They have to figure out, okay, so which ones of these are we saying can be a part of a winner in 2015 and which ones do we just jettison or which ones, you know what, that guy, we could at least get something for him, but he's not worth us keeping around. It's part of that sorting out process, though, also finding players who can be solid big league players to help your young players so when they get to the big leagues, so that when Jared Kozar gets there and Jonathan Singleton 
and George Springer, that these guys don't have to hit three, four, five and carry your team. That that's the other part of having some mid level, some some of those solid players around. It made sense to trade Michael Bourne and Hunter Pence in twenty eleven. It might make sense to have some of those players now when you're trying to get back on the way up. They have bottomed out. Well, when you bring those young players, you see, and I agree with you that 2013, it doesn't make much sense to have some of those players around. But if they keep going with this approach, and in, in, in 2014 especially, but if they even show any uptick, if Singleton and Springer are in the major leagues in the second half of 2013, and they're hitting three and four and five hole, those kind of things, I think you're doing them a disservice because I don't think that's how but you're going to prepare those guys necessarily to win. But the good thing about that is, is okay, you know what? Is that what Carlos Pena is supposed to do? In the second half of the season, you know what? You don't have to. If you don't – you're not – again, you're trying to put a, the best product you can on the field, but if you say, you know See, what? See, I, I, they're definitely not trying to do that. But developmentally, that is, but that developmentally is, when you, when Singleton comes up, if you say, you know what? You're going to bat six hole. You know right. what? Right. Well, okay, what I, I would imagine that's Bo Porter's, that's Bo Porter's uh, take – that that's that what he's going to have to do, but, or but, his orders. And I think we agree. In 2014, you have to start going through and saying, okay, you know what? Uh, we've sorted through three of these guys, and we don't have a center fielder, or we don't have a third baseman, or pick your position. At that point, then you have to start bringing in a guy or two or three to kind of fill in the holes and all. And Because in 2014 – you have to be starting to head in the right direction. No one expects I guess, them. I guess I'm saying I think that you should st- – I don't see why you don't start that this year. Because to me, I think they're so far away. Michael Bourne, you're right. In year four, would he be a big league regular? But I don't think four years from now that Michael Bourne's going to be an above-average regular. I don't even know that he's an above-average regular now. I don't even know if he is, but I'm saying but, so. What but, I'm saying is you're going to pay him – But big- he is a commodity, and he's a hard-to-find commodity, J.J. It is hard to find center fielders who are premium defenders like that have that kind of speed, and I know those players don't always age well. Well, you don't sign them for a super long-term contract. If you go right now, you have to sign them for four years if you want them to be around when you're good. But, I mean, like, the Mets were interested in signing Michael Bourne. How are the Mets that much better, that much closer to contending than the Astros? I would say they're not. What they have is is that yeah, they – David Wright. They have David Wright, who is a better player than anyone. No doubt. They have R.A. Dickey. I'm no, they don't. They oh, traded oh, into the Blue Jays. Yeah, 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 they don't have Jack. Yeah. No, the, they, okay, they, I'm going to go okay, back and edit they that have, they have da- Okay, the Mets have yeah. David Wright. The Mets have David Wright, who's, better, David who's Wright. better than anything. They have the shell of Johan Santana. They have the shell. They have, and, they have Jason Bay's contract, and they, and but the no key longer thing, Jason But the key Bay. thing that they have is, is they have Matt Harvey and Zach Wheeler, who – And I like both those guys, but I'm saying the Astros have – you just mentioned their strength. They have such depth that when the Astros – First of all, they have a ton of guys to go through, number, number one. But number two, they should have the depth that when they are getting better, they could trade prospects for big leaguer. That's yeah, but, possible. But, but, I do. But, but I don't. But I think my, my point is a guy like I'm using Michael Bourne as a specific example because he's a guy where if they were to sign Michael Bourne, they would get an outsized amount of goodwill. I haven't even talked to mm-hmm. Scott Boris, by the way. <laughs> this mm-hmm. is not a plant, I promise. If they were to sign Michael Bourne, you get the homecoming angle. The guy went to college, University of Houston. You get a guy who has a tie to your past back when you actually were a semblance of a major league team. And you have one guy who has been there when your team won some games. They won, it was 86 games. They were actually in a pennant race but, in 2008. I, I know he was in a pennant race last year with the Braves. I don't, think those, I don't think those are bad qualities to bring to a team. And while the rest of your uh, salary structure is so low, you can even more afford – 
Michael right. Bourne. No, to me, I, I, don't, I don't think there's a downside to signing a player like that. Now they went out and got Kyle Lowe. What's the downside? There is one. The one downside is is I know you take it away Justin Maxwell's precious no, at bat. No, you're taking away your second round pick. That that that's the only downside. That is, but that's a significant when you're talking about a team like this. When you're talking about how significant what, is it? So you're your basically mind. more than the second round pick. What you're taking away is is what about one point three from your uh, salary? From uh, your you're you're taking it, but you but you still have that f- number one overall spot. You still are going to have one of the largest, one of the top five bonus pools, even if you give up that second round pick. Right, but you will have. You're losing some, but I you're mean, losing. A, is that second round pick going to help you four years from now, or is Michael more than Michael Bourne? Potentially. Not, uh, potentially, but not necessarily. Again. Mm-hmm. We love scouting a player development, JJ, right. but even I think four years from now, Michael Bourne is worth more than that second-round pick. Right, again, four years, let's say th- four years from now, Michael Bourne might even be worth more than last year's second-round pick. I love Lance McCullers Jr., but he's a high school pitcher who's pitched right. 11 games in the, you know, in the minor league, 11 innings. But, I'm well, just no, I, like, I love like, scouting a player development. They have enough depth. They have so much more depth on the minor league side than they have on the major league side. I think four years from now, they would be better served by having Michael Bourne than having this year's second-round pick. But you know what? I am confident. If, I'm, if I were an Astros fan, I would be confident that that's exactly the kind of question that Jeff Luna and their staff had debated, and they've decided the second-round pick is worth more to them. And that's I would just say I disagree because I think that there are other – I don't think that there, I think there are other asset, other parts of Michael Bourne or some similar asset – to help their major league team and to present to your fans that you're not a total farce of a major league club. See, I, would you ever buy a ticket or watch an Astros game? You could if have you Michael Bourne. It's not going to change anything to me. I don't. I would not. It would not make it any more. Ooh, there's but a you real. Are, there's one. You real and I main, are a little bit more sophisticated fan than the but, average baseball fan. But what I'm saying though is, I do not think though. I do not think you can add in short of adding Bo Jackson in his prime or someone <laughs> or someone who if you added Pedro, you know, 1999 Pedro. They just don't even have if, exciting like placeholder players right, to sift. But through. what I'm saying is is Michael Bourne's not that guy. If you are talking neither about is, neither neither is Jake Elmore or Marwin Gonzalez. Right. No, I, mean, I, I, is, I agree. I mean It is a little also a little bit I think You're going if you're going right now, you're going to see who's playing, who are they playing now? Hey, you're make, you are I making see the Rangers. You you are also making I think very difficult. Not that Jed Lowry solves this. You're making it very difficult to evaluate your pitchers when you're running out there a defense of, you know, either Chris Carter or Nate Fryman or Brett Wallace or Carlos Pena at first or DH. Carlos Pena was once a great defensive player. By the way, we're going to get the uh, Carlos Pena is going to get this question a lot. So you played on the 2003 Tigers. You were the everyday first yeah. baseman there. How much crappier is this team <laughs> than that team? Oh, well, that team we had uh, we had Brandon Edge. I mean, he was he, he was still there in 2006. And Craig Monroe, they were both still there when we got good in Detroit. I mean, he's yeah. going to get that question, and Carlos is smart enough to to yeah, to, uh, to answer he'll, that he'll question. He'll be a useful, a useful he'll role be a for useful him. source. I mean, like the only exciting player other than Altuve on that team is like is Mar- Matt Dominguez at least is a decent defensive player. He's a good defensive player, and he actually hit pretty well for them after he got there last year too. But you're fielding shortstops and Marwin Gonzalez and Tyler Green. Are you really giving your pitchers a good chance to develop when they have below-average defenders no. at shortstop? Here's the thing. Are you hindering that? Are you hindering your pitchers no, here's the when thing. your outfielders are guys like Brandon Barnes, well, Brandon Martinez, Justin okay. Maxwell? Okay. I'd you're say you're, you're not. But no, you're, you asked the question. Let me answer it, which is what you should be doing now with the Astros also, though. When the end of spring training comes, I'm not talking these are major deals, but like last year, okay, the Braves needed a backup shortstop. They pick up Paul Yanish for Todd Redman, who's been DFA'd. 
they should be out there trolling for. Oh, they are. They yeah. have been all off season. Right. That's why I wrote about them losing Mickey Story on waivers right. because they've been adding and subtracting from their forty man roster all off season. That when, one of the things there's been with, a lot of roster going one on. One of already the things with your with your depth is if you have a guy who a team out there's like, you know what, this guy's useful, but he doesn't really fit for us. Some of that minor league depth should, at this point, you it's time to start turning it into major league depth for guys who are still young enough that you say, okay, you know, this guy fills a role. I mean, I, you don't want to go out there and sign a 38-year-old, you know, washed-up guy. But at the same time, yeah, I don't think that Marwin Gonzalez, if you want – I don't think you want to put Marwin Gonzalez out there for 100 and – That's what they're going to do. They don't have another shortstop. I mean, Jonathan Villar played half a year last year in A. You know I like Jonathan Villar. I gave him an absurdly high grade in the first time we did grades in the BA handbook. I probably lowered it too much this year. Um, but he has serious swing and miss issues, serious contact issues that he's had A ball and double A. It's pretty disingenuous, I think. To, it's, it's just It would be magic if he showed up this year and all of a sudden he made enough right. hard contact to be your everyday big league shortstop. I still think he's their big league shortstop in the second half of the season, J.J., because I, I think Bo Porter's going to be on one of those calls. One day with Jeff Luna at the end of a series on the road, it'd be like, you, you know, we can't catch the ball. We need someone who can go get the ball. And we're at 40 with our 40-man roster. We don't lose any, want to lose anyone else. And Jonathan Villar is on our 40-man roster. And it's no, going to happen. And the, down the road, the thing about that is – Is that going to be the, good for them down the road? Is that going to help them win in four years? I guess what I'm saying is I agree with the overall approach. I think it can be argued. I don't know if I've convincingly argued it, that they've almost gone too far in the bottom of the barrel that it's not going to help them. Because player development, they've made, it, they've made it plain that they value winning as part of the player development equation, which the previous administration did not. That's how I had 30, 30, 29, and 30 in your minor league winning percentages. Last year, the Astros had the best domestic winning percentage in the minor leagues. They value winning in the minors as part of the development process. But player development continues at the major leagues. So how can winning not be important as part of that development process at the major leagues? I think they've gone a little bit too far. I'm not saying that keeping uh, Jed Lowry was the elixir, but maybe keeping Jed Lowry and Brett Myers or one other piece uh, was part of that solution. And I would certainly hope they don't trade Bud Norris uh, this spring, who has the most talent of any of their current big league pitchers who also have some experience. So I think they've gone a little bit too far, but – Again, I do trust, and I think that Jeff Luno and his team have the right approach in general. I do think that this is a little bit of an extreme uh, approach, though, to the complete teardown. I mean, at some point, you gotta you got to have a foundation. Right. I don't know what their foundation we're, we're, is. Well, to me, we're more in agreement than not. My thought is, is that I give them one more – you have one more year to tear down. Last year – because two years ago, they were awful. Right. But it wasn't a complete teardown. Right. They still had. They, well, they were still tearing down. They were still tearing down. They still had veteran guys. But last year they pretty much torn it down. Last year, during and now the they season, tore it down even worse. No, last year during the season it got to the point where it was you know you were you saw the the big neon signs that said seventy five percent off and you know if you want to buy the shelves that the stuff was being sold on you can buy those too. I mean right. it was complete liquidation sale last year. What they're doing now to me, you have this year to finish that. My thought is is that in 2014 you have to start going back up the others. Yours is, is that you I guess need I'll to make another an NBA analogy here. Uh, yeah, since we're going cross sports, and the Charlotte Bobcats last year, I'm not even a Bobcats fan, but the Bobcats tore it all down 
and they set an NBA record for the worst record in, in basketball in NBA history. And that didn't get them any goodwill. And it didn't help them in the lottery. And player development and draft in all but sports is still a crapshoot. And it didn't help them. They didn't get the top overall pick. I know there's no lottery here, but – uh, you know, the, the, they think, had to go out and get some players to regain some respectability oh, this year. Again, and they did, and they, got, gonna, and they went out and they got veteran players. But they're not going to right now. They're not going to sell tickets, no matter any one, two, or three players you add, short of it being. But the point is, I'm not. Even ta- I'm not yeah. talking about selling tickets. They went out and got some of those veteran players to help the players, the young guys on their roster, down the line, be better NBA players. And I think that's a similar thing that the. Astros need to do. You can't have a, a you can't go into a big league season. I don't think with Jose Altuve as your best player and expect that the, any other young players that come up around him are going to be helped and be in a supportive environment. So that's all I'm saying. I think if winning matters to you in player development, as they have shown it does at the minor league level, it has to matter at the major league level. And you can't just say, well, what's the difference between winning 55 games and 45 games? I think it's 10 wins. I think it's a lot. And I think they're they're. You're in danger of ingraining a losing culture in your clubhouse and in your franchise uh, when you tear down to this extent. All that said, I don't know if they had that much choice, J.J. I, I think what happened is, is that I think this is more forced upon them than anything is when you come in and you look around and you go, okay, if we added, if we went out and spent $40 million on the free agency going into next year, what would that get us? And if the answer to that is, uh, it would probably be about a 72-75 win team at best. Well, then, is that really an answer? Because now – That would be, I think, a better answer than than losing 50, winning see, 55 games year in and year out. I think that would be better. No, because I, I, I don't think – I think if you did that, you don't have the way – the problem with that is is that you don't – if you do that, you don't necessarily have – some of the players that they have acquired by not going to that point are some of the guys – you know. You wouldn't do the complete teardown then. Then you're keeping Brett Myers. I think, the, I think the, the disagreement we have is they've already done the complete teardown. So I thought they'd already done the complete teardown, and I think all their fans did too. And then they tore down even more. And that's why it was even provoking any discussion. They've gone beyond a complete teardown. You know? okay. So, I mean, that's, that's the difference. I, they could add players. They'd still be the first, second, or third pick. They're going to be oh, yeah, horrendous. They're gonna, they're gonna be and they're going to be horrendous um, to a level – Three years in a row that we haven't seen in baseball in a long time. And, and, and they're, they're compromising the, really the integrity of the rest of the American League. The rest of the American League, West, has got to just love the fact that the Astros are coming in here. Absolutely. And I, I think it compromises the playoff chances of the other teams, the rest of the no, teams it, in the American League. If you're in the American League East right now. Now, I'm not going to say that in that's, the Central. That's, that's really not the Astros' concern. Though. But if you're in the American League East, yes, you look at this and you go, no, wait a second. Yeah. They're conceivably, if the Red Sox bounce back even halfway – you say there is not every one of – there is conceivably that every division game you play in the AL East could be tough. I mean, like right. every every team you face could be – comes into the season saying I, – I think all five teams in that in that division come in, and you can see it's plausible they can be a 500 team. Mm-hmm. I think that's plausible. And, and I think you could say – I think you could say with four of them, you could map out a reasonable scenario where they contend for a playoff spot. Right. And I think the Red Sox right now, it's tough to map that I, out. I agree. But I think the Blue Jays did enough improvement. Clearly, if they didn't, then – Right. <laughs> I think Baltimore would be fourth because I think but, it's, you just look at it. They didn't really have a great off season, and you're basically they, – they, I thought they overachieved last oh, year. Yeah. 
The, but, the numbers show that. But you can, if you're if you're the Orioles, you can logically say, "Hey, we could theoretically have some of these guys be better than they were last yeah, year." Yeah, you could imagine some of their starting pitchers being better. You could imagine some of their hitters a full a season of health for Nick Markakis. You know, a full season of Manny Machado. You could definitely see. Uh, you, you, do you, do you really think that you know? It, it's reasonable to expect that J.J. Hardy has an OBP over 300 this right. year. You Whereas know, you go it's reasonable to expect that Matt Wieters makes the leap from good to great. Those aren't unreasonable expectations. And you go to the West, and you're looking at it and saying, okay, you know, 20 there games? Be, there, <laughs> should be, there should be, you know, three very, very good teams in the American League West. I think Texas I, I, and the Angels are both going to be very, very good. And Oakland is the defending champion. I, I think there's going to be some fallback for them, but – uh, it's also reasonable to expect. Same as the Orioles. They, they, they go into the season. That's right. They go into the season saying, And they weren't we in this offseason. Yeah. They had a good offseason. So they, I like the moves they made. So you look at that and say, yeah, yes, we, we're thrilled we'll be playing the, you know, oh, going to Houston this week. Okay, exactly. Cool. That, everyone should be able to get well. That That's one of those where you feel like if you, you're going into Houston, if you don't get two of those three, you feel like you lost ground. Only in college where, like, if you had the RPI. Well, you'd be like, oh, man, our RPI is going to take a hit when we go play the Astros. You know, you don't get an RPI hit in Major League Baseball. Lucky for them. It's the Baseball America podcast with John and JJ. I brought it back to college baseball, JJ. I was very oh, excited it's... about that. That was, that, was, that was fun how that happened. Let's go to the Twitter machine, JJ. We're, I'm going to ask you some Twitter. Uh, okay. some, 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 uh, take some of our tweets at Baseball America, at JJ Coop, at John Manuel BA. We have lots of questions. Um, first from Japers, what are the chances that uh, Jurix and Profar – Dylan Bundy and Will Myers break camp with their respective teams. I guess I would say he didn't specify. I guess he meant major league teams. I think they are going to break camp with teams. I just think they're going to be uh, the Durham Bulls, uh, maybe the Norfolk Tides, and uh, perhaps the uh, probably the Texas Rangers. I think Profar has the highest chance of I wouldn't breaking be shocked camp in the major league. I would say, but I wouldn't be shocked at all. I would actually say that I think Bundy does. I think really? Bundy does. And the reason I say that is, is as much depth. Why do you say that? As much depth as the, oh, – sorry, that's one of my ticks. But uh, as much depth as the Orioles have, it would not surprise me at all for Dylan Bundy to go out and do, do enough in spring training where they just look around and go, you know what, we can't send this guy back. Because as much depth as the Orioles have – they don't have a whole lot of guys who you point to and say that guy could front, you know, be the front guy and you know front end ace. I still, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if he talented his way onto that roster, or if he just pitched so great this spring where they just can't hold him back. But I do think they have I think other they want good to. pitchers. Yeah, I, I think, think they, they want, want him to. to be in the minor leagues. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I think they okay. want to, but I think, and I think whereas on Profar's case, right now, when you say you know break camp, well, to do what? I mean, that's the part. Is the problem is is, right. I I don't think you. Bring Profar up to play in the outfield or something like that. I, I don't think that's fair to him. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't. Well, it doesn't make sense to. He would make a lot more money <laughs> if he was in the major leagues playing 90 games this right. year as a super utility guy. But I don't think that's what's best for his development either. Um, I, I do think it makes more sense to have him in a, a regular everyday slot. But what that spot is, barring an injury, you know, I don't. I mean, there's not an now, obvious. Now spot. that Ian Kinsler's come out and said, mm. I don't want to move to left field. Yeah, exactly. He wants to be a second baseman. Once that happens, I don't think there's a clear path. I think it's something at some point in the season he'll be up, but I don't think it'll be opening day. To me, the thing with with uh, the big impediment to Bundy is just again, th- th- I like the starting pitching that uh, that you have in Baltimore. Uh, you have Jason Hamill, you have Miguel Gonzalez, you have Suyoshi Wada, you have Chris Tillman, uh, and I think that fifth spot to me uh, it seems like that's Brian Madison's spot. That's what he wants to do. 
they they didn't draft him fourth overall to make him a lefty specialist. Now that helped them make the playoffs last year. But the point, his raison no. d'etre is to be a starting pitcher. I, and that's not even mentioning Jake Arrieta or Zach Britton or the Rule 5 draft pick, uh, T.J. McFarlane, who you know has an outside shot at making that. I mean, if they like him at all, they're going to give him a spot in the, in the rotation. They're not going lo- to lose him back to the end. Or, the, or he like could be him. the long man. Yeah, they, they could do that too. I was going to say, I think McFarlane's spot, if they like him, is much more likely as the long man, than, especially with the depth they have. Right, but with their, the way their team is set up, I actually like him as a sleeper to make that team because – He's a left-handed sinker baller, and their infield defense is the number one strength of their team, especially on the left side of the infield with Hardy and, and Machado. I mean, he is set up to succeed on that team, if anywhere. So, um, But, yeah, I, and I don't think there's any way Will Meyer starts the year in Tampa. They, they just have shown that that's not how they roll no. in Tampa. The he, bottom line, unless he signs a Evan Longoria – uh, even then, though, even the then dollar. he starts the season in AAA. That's right. That's Evan right. Longoria started the season in AAA and then signed his, you know. That's right. But, but yeah, the, the, the Rays have made it clear. It seems like one of the things, they'll find something that he needs to refine, which there are some things he could cut, work on cutting down the strikeouts and all. But, or he could just work on playing one position right. for weeks on end. To that third base is not going to be nearly as useful with the Rays. As <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't thought about that, and yet we still list him as an OF3B. You play a certain number of games at, third, at that position, you get the slash. So uh, I'm I, selfishly, I know I can speak for JJ. We're all looking forward to Will Myers being a member of the Durham Bulls. Yes. We're based yes, in Durham. We, we like watching the Bulls play uh, and, and watching that. Um, George Fitopoulos, who moves up thanks to being Greek or at least having a Greek uh, Twitter name, uh, who do we think will win the twin center field job? JJ, who do you like there? Do you, do you like our? Uh, do you think the Twins will go the prospect route? And Aaron Hicks, or uh, are they going to go the veteran route? The best way I can answer is this is when I think it's all said and done, I think Aaron Hicks has the most at-bats in third in center field this year for the Twins. I don't know if that means that he starts the season, but I just look at their other options, and, and I think that maybe you can hold him back you know, for April 1st. I, I don't think you can hold him back much longer than that just because I think he has more talent than anyone else they have at the position. I think he's going to take his lumps. I think the Twins are going to take their lumps this year. Oh, yeah. They're going to take a lot of lumps. I don't know if they're going to take more lumps than, take say, Kansas City or uh, anyone else in the American League Central, but it, they seem like the fifth-best team in the American League Central to me. I, I think so, I, and I think I, – I, I think his biggest competition, you just on the 40-man roster today, is Darren Mastroianni, Aaron Hicks, and uh, Joe Benson. I and the Twins would love it if Joe Benson were the guy. They would be thrilled. They would love it if Joe Benson stayed healthy, had a good spring. But we were talking, you remember we were talking about Jed Lowry being injury prone and not having any evidence of doing it over 140 games? Joe Benson says, hey, Jed Lowry, <laughs> I'll show you hurt. Let me punch a wall here for and, you. Let me do this. Let me do that. I and, mean, and I just it's think. A, it's a bit of a real shame. He's had basically one really great year in the minor league. And, and to me, Aaron Hicks has been a, a – He's like a fine wine. It's been a very slow, like you, you, you just watch every year and it gets a, you know, he just gets a little better. He gets a little better. Well, he made a bigger leap last year. Right. Though. But, but the big thing with him though is, is that if you, to me, you look at him with the twins and say that there are things that he can do, even as he takes his lumps. Right. That will make it useful for him to be out there. At the very least, he's gonna, he's gonna see a lot of pitches. He has a track record of drawing walks. He will defend center field. Does he have refinements to make? Certainly. But I think he won't steal a ton of bases, but I think he'll steal you some bases. And he will uncork some throws that make you go, ooh, Ben Revere <laughs> could never have done that. Right. You know? And then he'll throw one left-handed harder than Ben <laughs> Revere would throw it. So, I mean, 
and he will take money off of uh, the veterans in in some golf competitions because Aaron Hicks, is we all know, can golf. golf. So I, I think Aaron Hicks is there. But if you're looking at this from a fantasy perspective, I think Mastroianni is a worthwhile late-round flyer to take because the guy stole bags last year. And just with their outfield situation, and he's going to get at bats. Yeah, he's going to get at bats. So. Uh, I agree with you on that. I just think that if you're saying who's going to be who's going to get the most at bats in center when it's all said and done, I think it's going to be. But like center. right field, I don't know who's going to be their right fielder. Is it going to be Oswaldo Arcia? Not to start the year, I can't imagine. So is it going to be Trevor Plouffe? Is it going to be Chris Parmalee? I mean, theoretically, it could even be Aaron Hicks or Joe Benson. It could be or Darren Mastriani. <laughs> I mean, it could be one of those guys. So for me, I, I do think talent will out there, and I, I think it'll be Aaron Hicks. I, I'm going to make a, a prediction also. Talk about conversations you're not going to hear a whole lot, like, you know, on even MLB Network's not going to be spending a whole lot of time breaking down that break. Because, that, again, the Twins are going into the season right now, and it's like, man, this just does not look like it's going to be a, a, a big year for the Twins. No, you're going – basically right now, um, <laughs> Twins fans are either extremely skeptical, as most of them are, that I seem to, I seem to read about, or they're going – Maybe this is the year Kevin Korea unlocks things. <laughs> I don't think there are very many. Plans. No, I, I don't think there's two. I don't, I don't think, think, think that conversations happen around the ice fishing holes uh, no. in International Falls this year. Uh, Alan Dudek, our Expos fan, 1998, JJ, he asked a lot of questions. Um, sticking in uh, uh, the, the niche question like of American League Central center fielders, uh, Alejandro de Aza, Jordan Danks, <laughs> uh, Mitchell or Trace Jared Thompson, Mitchell. Jared Mitchell. Who do you like for White Sox center field, JJ? Not Trace Thompson in 2013. No, I was going to say, Trace Thompson not ready to do that in 2013 unless you want to have a, a run at the uh, strikeout record. You know, I, I think long-term of these guys, he may be that guy. But, you know, I, I think <laughs> I think Diazza for 2013 and I think, uh, you know, and, and Pray for Rain. I mean uh, – Yeah, that's it. I mean, uh, Jared Mitchell I don't think is nearly ready to do that either. And I'm still not completely sold that Jared Mitchell is going to be a, an everyday regular. Yeah, it was really a bummer to see him in AAA last year and see him in left field and talk to International League managers. He didn't have enough at-bats to qualify in that league, but everyone was that like, you know, I'd love to see him in center field, but they had Danks. Mm -hmm. So Danks played center and, and Mitchell played left. The thing about Jordan Danks is, is you could put him in center field and he will field well enough and all that he's not going to kill you out there. He's the like he's, his best comp is almost like Dwayne Wise. Like that's the kind right. of player he's that's shaping up he's to hoping, be. He's hoping for that. I mean, I, really. I think, he, I think it could be more than that. But the, there's no other way to put this. Jordan Danks has been available like in the yeah. Rule 5 draft and no one has deemed him valuable enough that he's worth taking a $25,000 risk for him to be a backup big league outfielder. Yeah, I mean, so it's hard to really say you go from that to you go from to being the regular for the White Sox. I mean, twenty nine other teams have said no. The good guys also our good guys' question did not include Blake Tacody. We used to have a nice bet board about Blake Tacody between Matt Blood and Aaron Fitt over how high Blake Tacody would get drafted, and I think uh, I think Fitzy won that one. It was a third round pick, if memory serves, and uh, I think that Matt Blood said that he would go later than that. But that's not an inspiring collection, and they also. It's possible Alex Rios could be that center fielder, but they don't exactly – they're not bursting at the seams with corner bats outside of Dion Vicieto in left field. So, uh, yeah, they have – Speaking of an, an central teams that we don't expect to be uh, contending for playoff spots. You know, so. I didn't expect them last year, though, either, no. J.J., and they did, they contended for an awfully long time. Um, J.J., uh, how about if we skip around a little bit here on the on the Twitter uh, – do you want to take the Kyle sure. Filkins question? Sure, go ahead. Kyle asks, who is the best athlete in minor league baseball? That's a good question, I think. 
You have some two-sport jokers. You have, uh, I'm, I'm you gonna, have some explosiveness, but I'm not sure. I'm going to go – I mean, when you talk about athleticism, I'm going to go Billy Hamilton. And the reason I say that is is not because – I mean, he is a two-sport star. I mean, he was a guy who could have been a, an SEC caliber wide receiver. I was expecting you to say Billy Hamilton. But so. more than that, the thing about his athleticism, you know, he's the fastest player on a baseball field. I mean, that all that – but what scouts have talked about with his athleticism is, is what amazes them is, is they see him one year, they see him the next, and it's like, man, what that weakness he used to have is completely gone. Or, man, he's much better at this than he was the last time I saw him. He, athleticism, body control, all that right. together. Like, now, that doesn't mean I, you know, you could go in a different direction. I'm trying to think because Billy Hamilton's an extremely skinny. I mean, he's got some of the smallest ankles right. you'll ever see on a baseball <laughs> right. field. So I'll ask you, okay, take that in a different approach. Who would you think of as the best athlete in the powerful athlete? See, in terms of power, the guy I keep on thinking of actually is uh, is Dylan Bundy. <laughs> you know, you talk about athleticism and explosiveness. Obviously, you don't usually think of a pitcher as that guy. But in terms of power and explosiveness, I think of Dylan Bundy as the best athlete. He might be just the best athlete among pitchers. But in terms of just pure athleticism, because like mm. the other guys I'm thinking of are guys who are in the Billy Hamilton vein in terms of skinnier, right. but really a premium, I, but fast I'm trying guys. to think of a Mike Mason, Stanton type, like another, because right. like Giancarlo Stanton. But, That's right. Giancarlo but, Stanton would be to me like a, a, you want to think of someone who's like that. But like, right. I, I, I'm not thinking of those guys. Like I'm thinking of Mike Trout, obviously, is another, but those right. guys are in the big leagues now. But those, those were when you talk about that powerful athleticism, not as much the speed guy. You know, I, I'm, I know I'm probably blanking on someone right now, but I, but I like, can't. I like, they, they were, I'm, I'll start with the organizations that I do in the handbook. Um, like the Yankees, they, the Yankees do have athletes. Um, you know, you talk about Mason Williams. He's an explosive, fast twitch athlete. He hasn't come into his man strength yet. But if you wanted to put him in the conversation of top 10 athletes in the minor leagues, you know, I could see that. His dad played in the NFL as a wide receiver with the Patriots. Uh, this guy, as a high school player, he could do no wrong. He pitched. He hit. He carried his team deep in the postseason. He's a very good player. Byron and I, Buxton is, is a guy. Bubba Starling and Byron Buxton are the Byron two. Byron Buxton. I would say Slade Heathcott, mm-hmm. uh, who can't stay healthy, but is an explosive athlete. Again, you mentioned Byron Buxton and Bubba Starling. We saw them in that. I will not stop talking about that Appy League series <laughs> until I die. But that was a great Appy League game. I was just so geeked about that one stupid Appy League game. <laughs> it was ridiculous. That, I hey, I've ever the, done it. The Appy League Championship Series goes down as one of the greater baseball series seen by fewer people than. Uh, it was awesome. Um, you know, uh, but I'm just looking at the kind of. The, but when you look through the book at best athlete, there's not one guy whose athleticism really jumps out at you. There are not a lot of two-sport guys. I was gonna say, I, really, I, I think, really we, think I think of. if you talk about powerful, I I think Bubba Starling and Byron Buxton are up there with anyone right now. I think so. I think Byron Buxton's up there with anybody and, and Bubba Starling. And I mean, Bubba um, Starling could have been. I'll, a, I'll take Dylan Bundy over both of them. You know, I, I had I had a scout tell me that you know Nebraska felt like that if Bubba Starling you know had come there. He has started a quarterback as a freshman, and he would right. have basically turned around the program is what they were – I know you didn't have him as your best athlete. Um, uh, we, we probably should throw in Courtney Hawkins since he does standing backflips <laughs> and street shoes. Um, but you didn't mention him as your best athlete for the Reds, but Amir Garrett is a Division One basketball know starter. But the funny thing is, is I, I, don't, I think he's a very good athlete. Okay. I think he has a rare combination of, of skills, but – 
it, kind of the same way that that Andrew Bra- you know, he's he's more athletic than Andrew Brackman. Yeah. But Andrew Brackman was always thought of as in some ways like oh you know if the guy was a legit D1 basketball player he's got to be an excellent athlete. And I don't think Andrew Brackman had that kind of athleticism actually. Right. I think I think Amir Garrett has more, but Amir oh, Garrett still is not you know I, I mean I still don't think of him as is. A premium. A premium. Like, it's not, you know, it's not an Austin Jackson level athleticism or, you know, or uh, uh, C- <laughs> the funny thing is it's like another guy I would think of it like that, like C.J. Henry was thought of. Right. You know, well, right. And then, you know, actually C.J. Henry's not that much, you know, not at that level of athleticism. Just leaving through the book, you could also throw in Bradley Marquez in that, who's the two-sport guy with the Mets organization. That's kind of an intriguing, just the best in the minor leagues. But among elite prospects, I think we've hit on them. And then if you really want to look for athletes, Usually a good place to look is the uh, Philadelphia Phillies organization. They usually draft some big, raw athletes. Just from the eyeball test, Aaron Althea is a guy who's got the narrow waist, oh, the broad we shoulders. We've got to throw Juwan James still in there. Juwan James, I think, is still in that in that mix. But among the elite prospects, yeah, I mean, I, and I think we haven't mentioned Jerks and Profar. Even though he's not a real big physical guy, I still think Jerks and Profar. When you're talking about athleticism, you're talking about body control. We're, but most of the guys AJ we're talking about are like shooting guard types. We're not talking about any NFL linebackers. Whereas you look at Giancarlo Stanton, and you John, you could see if he Mike played Trout. if Giancarlo Stanton or Mike Trout put on pads and stuff, they would not look out of place on a football field. Which is to me where you really see just you know stupid athletes. You know? Right. So, I mean that's stupid in a good way. I, I think I've got time for one more before going to pick up the kids. So uh, right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw one. You to pick you. which one you like. Okay. So let's see. We're going to say here. Um, Okay, you know what? It's it's another one from Expos fan 1998. Just asking yeah, about the top five power prospects expected to start in the minor leagues. He throws Sano, Kyle Parker. Who who are the guys who stand out to you? Well, Miguel Sano stands out first and foremost I, I think he's for the, me. I, I mean, think, I think he's, he's the best the top, power. I think he's a top power guy. I think Oscar Tavares is not far off of that. He may not have that kind of raw juice. But in terms of just big time power and, and just playable power, seeing him at the BP took the futures game, he was hitting the ball as hard and further than pretty much anyone else in that game. And there was a lot of good guys in that game. And I don't I don't think it's crazy to put Will Myers in that category. I mean, the guy almost led the minor leagues in home runs last no, he year. Has. And I mean, just it's the whippiness. You know, he he you don't have to be uh, as big as Miguel Sano, who's every bit of the two thirty four or whatever it is that he's listed two thirty two pounds. I mean. You don't have to be that mammoth. Um, you know, just in terms of raw power, I think Javier Baez is in that mix. I mean, uh, it's more of a raw bat speed. But, again, I mean, so many things point you toward a comparison with him and Gary Sheffield, uh, just with the bat speed. Um, I'd throw him in there. And, uh, yeah, I'm not sure, JJ. I guess the other guy for me, would. I think you have to respect. I, I, maybe I'm going back to the organizations that I do. Uh, I'd throw Mike Olt in there for the Rangers. I'd throw George Springer in there for the uh, for the the Astros. George Springer has swing and miss issues, uh, but th- those guys are always linked in my head as UConn teammates. But both those guys have a hit a ton of home runs, and Mike Olt might start the year in the major leagues. But uh, Mike Olt has I'm, yeah, because that's the different kind. He has the strength. He's playable. Power. He has strength oriented, playable power. He's shown power at all fields. Uh, this is going to be a guy who I'm very confident is going to hit 25 home runs a year in the major leagues. And guess what? In 2013, that's a lot. You know, we're past the year of everybody hitting 40 home runs all the time. Um, and George Springer, I just think with his hand strength, forearm strength, and fast hands, I just think there's just too many ingredients there for him not to have to be in that category. He doesn't have as much usable power 
as a Michael because he has more swing and miss. I'll, but uh, in terms of raw power, I, I love George. Spain. I'll throw one other guy a little bit of no, a little deeper cut. Marcelo Zuna, I think that's it, a great one for Marcelo raw Zuna juice. has to has to fit in there as far as a guy who great deep cut when you know when he connects with the ball, it goes a long, long ways. And the thing about it is though is, is that if we really dig deep, I could probably think of a couple more guys who have raw power, like. Because there's always the, – the funny thing is, is there are guys in AAA who, right, right. whose raw power matches or exceeds some, you know, anyone we're talking about but have such swing and I miss I mean, Joel issues. Guzman was always, you know, a guy who was a 4A player who had as much raw juice as anybody I watched Ladder Ballantin, you know. Yeah. I mean, just make baseballs disappear in BP. Juan Francisco can make baseballs go a long, 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 long ways. Yeah, I mean uh, – but they're, but they're fringe guys because – that's it. That's right. the that's the tool. Another guy I'll throw in there is Carlos Correa, uh, first overall pick last year. Not exactly a, a deep cut in terms of a name, but just th- you just don't think of a first round, first overall pick shortstop from Puerto Rico. Even a guy his size, the first thing with the name association of Carlos Correa for I think most fans is not power, but he has real significant raw power, and the Astros are pretty excited about him. So. Great questions, as always. Uh, we have great listeners at BaseballAmerica.com uh, at our uh, podcast, and we really appreciate it. Feel free to go give us a review on iTunes uh, of the Baseball America podcast, and we'll have plenty more action. As I said, coming up just all this week, college opening day and next week's top 100 po- uh, prospects, we'll have a podcast, we'll have chats, we'll have a whole lot going on around that as well. For J.J. Cooper, I'm John Manuel. Thanks for all the questions. We'll see you on the next Baseball America podcast. So long, everybody. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.